I'm Avi Drucker. And I'm Selena. And today we're discussing The Hunger Games, which is the first book of The Hunger Games trilogy by Suzanne Collins. Here is a summary of The Hunger Games. In a place once known as North America lies the nation of Panem, or Panem, who knows, a shining capital surrounded by 12 outlying districts. The capital is harsh and cruel and keeps the districts in line by forcing them all to send one boy and one girl between the ages of 12 and 18 to participate in the annual Hunger Games, a fight to death on live TV. And the story begins when a 16-year-old girl, Katniss Aberdeen, her world is thrown into disarray when she volunteers to take her young sister Prince's place in the Hunger Games. So before we start talking about the book, we wanted to discuss the broader context of dystopian sci-fi and fantasy literature. Right. So Avi, do you feel that this is a little bit similar to the one of the normal genre for a lot of young adult novels, where it stars in some kind of a dystopian society, like Lord of the Flies, Divergence, Maze Runner, even Battle Royale? I really do. I think that for whatever reason, a lot of people think that teenagers love to read about dystopian societies, <laughs> which I definitely did when I was a teenager. I don't know why. Maybe all teenagers think that they live in a dystopian society. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very interesting. Like something with adolescents and uh, wanting to fight others to the death. Yeah. <laughs> Where you think that the world is against you and everything is a corrupt system. Yeah, that was a long time ago. I, I, could, I could imagine that that happened at once in my life. So a little bit about the genre. Would you categorize The Hunger Games as science fiction or fantasy? Well, I think that we might disagree on this, but I think that there is an arbitrary difference between science fiction and fantasy. And I once read a quote, and I don't know who it's from, but it was something like, to a sufficiently technologically advanced society, everything looks like magic. So basically, I think that whether or not something sci-fi or fantasy might depend on how much you explain the magic, right? So... Yeah, I feel like I'm going to put an arbitrary limit on it. I do agree. Like if there are some formulas explaining how some magical phenomenon or technology came into being, it's sci-fi. And if there isn't, then it's fantasy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it doesn't just have to be formula, I guess. But there has to be some sort of explanation or else people are going to think it's fantasy. It's difficult because I think that also... When I first read The Hunger Games, I don't think I thought of it as a sci-fi novel. I think I just thought of it as a dystopian novel because it's so heavily dystopian and the sci-fi aspects are kind of just like the supporting cast in a way. I mean, there's a really uh, technologically advanced society. They have like really fancy airplanes that like if you go on the ladder to the airplane, you get paralyzed and you can't move. <laughs> There's an entire ecosystem in the Hunger Games that's created by the creators and they can control the weather and stuff. There are genetically engineered animals, which I think is one of the most disturbing parts of the book. Yeah, that is true. There's a little bit about the future technology, like flying cars, you know, things we'll imagine will happen dresses that are on fire yeah it, 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 there, there's a little bit of seven component in there may the odds be ever in your favor next up is our section on political power in pena how, how would you categorize the politics in the hunger games i would describe this regime as totalitarian 
and communist because okay every district is responsible for like one resource which seems highly illogical in my opinion because the districts are really big and I'm not a huge proponent of communism, so maybe I have a bias, but yeah, like I think District 11 is responsible for agriculture. District 12 is responsible for coal and all of the resources are seem to be completely managed by the government. There is no freedom of speech. There's the threat of police violence if you speak up or protest in any way. So I definitely think that it's got like a 1984 vibe. You know, something that's also slightly strange to me is that the, the the stark contrast of how wealthy and technologically advanced the capital is versus the districts. So there's there's flying cars, mutated animals, like everyone is living in a super well-to-do like future society where there's all kinds of technology. And then the districts, they don't even have money, right? They have a barter economy and uh, Katniss has to make bows and arrows. To, to shoot prey. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, I, I, I fail to understand, like, how would this be super efficient even for the capital to, to get all the raw materials necessary, right? I can just be for punishment because it's not, it's not you know, maximized for, for, for the government. So okay. are you saying, are you saying that feel, you don't understand the politi- the economic system of Panem? I feel like that this is a plot hole because obviously if they have the ability to, to automate the coal mining and the agriculture, the, the fruit gathering, why wouldn't they do that and, and maximize the, um, the food that everyone can eat? So why are they leaving their own people starving to death? I don't think they care about the people of the other districts. But they rely on all of these things for their own people as well. Yeah, I think that this is a weakness in the book. The only rationale that I can think of is that maybe they get enough stuff the way that they're (laughs) doing it for the capital. I mean, we'll see later on in like another book. This isn't really a spoiler, but they will eat until they they'll eat and then they'll like throw up to eat more food. And that's like a thing that people do in the capital. Uh-huh. Do you remember this? Yes. It was very disturbing. So I guess it's like they, they do have enough. It's just an intentional torture for the people of the district. I mm-hmm. I think that this is this brings us to like another another weakness in the world building, which is I think that the 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 biggest weaknesses in the world building are relating to the political and economic system in, in Panem. Mm-hmm. And we both wanted to discuss basically the Hunger Games as a political strategy. Like, how effective is the Hunger Games as a political strategy for the society? Maybe we should give some context. Right. So so as a precursor, right, to punish the districts for rebelling against the capital in the past, now the capital chooses 24 children from, from the 12 districts and have them fight to the death on live TV as a spectacle and also as so that they will remember that they lost the war. And it's also supposed to act as a deterrent to, so they, they do not revolt against the capital again. I think like one thing that I thought was super strange is like, okay, so in order to deter them from revolting again, they are trying to get the people to, to, to hunt and to have the ability to kill and to stay physically fit so that they'll become better soldiers. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're like training these 
people to become soldiers. We know that in districts one and two, those are like the wealthiest districts. They're like the bougie districts. I don't remember what they do, but I think one of the districts is just in charge of like luxury items. And the tributes from these two districts are usually the winners of the Hunger Games because the society basically trains children to be able to withstand the Hunger Games if they're chosen as a, as a tribute. So that means that there's like a lot of people in districts one and two who are just like super strong and able to kill other people. Train soldiers, train yeah. child soldiers, right. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, 23 of the people in the Hunger Games usually die. So you only get one left. But yeah, there is a huge incentive to be able to fight. One of the things that really stood out to me was that the Hunger Games is a yearly event in which you are constantly traumatizing families and pissing them off by like having having their children enrolled. And if they die, maybe, you know, they don't have as much to live for. I think that this is a way to create a lot of resentment and a way to actually incite rebellion. I think that complacency in a political system is really effective because when people are comfortable, they don't want change, but you are constantly putting them in discomfort and making them think of how terrible your system is and how how little in investment they have in yeah, maintaining the system. Yeah, I feel like killing children kind of uh, crosses a line here. Like, I think people will be <laughs> willing to sacrifice everything else, even their lives, like if their children are like in danger here. I, I just... It would surprise me in reality if, like, you know, hung, the Hunger Game regime were able to last 75 years, which it did in the books. Yeah. The other part, though, is they, the fact I thought it was very good that they always leave one victor. So it's not like a straight up execution. Like everyone has a chance of winning, no matter how slim it is. As, I, as they say, maybe odds ever be your, in your favor. Yeah, it's like it's like capitalism, you know. You always have a have a shot, <laughs> not to be anti-capitalist, but you always have a shot at becoming a rich person. That's the American dream, right? So it's like sort of like that. Like when you have hope in becoming one of the people at the top, that can also be effect an effective way of maintaining the system of oppression. I also wanted to mention. Well, Selena, do you have anything else uh, that you like about the Hunger Games right. <laughs> in terms also, of political strategy? Good point. I also wanted to draw a parallel between the Hunger Games and the ancient times where they also have gladiators who uh, have lost wars. And then they, they basically get them into an arena and then they have them fight to the death with bears or other prisoners of war. I thought, I thought that was interesting, right? So, so this has happened before in history but I guess just not with kids. I, you know, I was kind of horrified that people would actually find this entertaining. Part of the political calculus that the capital is making is that pe the capital, the people in the capital are so, who, by the way, we haven't mentioned this, but they're like the benefactors of the system and they don't contribute children to the Hunger Games, only the districts do. They are so entertained by the Hunger Games that this seems to be actually a way of maintaining the system because they're so invested in it and they get so much enjoyment out of it. I found that really horrifying that they watch, they like watching kids kill each other so much, but it is true that this is sort of that um, the gladiator sport is, is an historical kind of similar, similar kind of thing.
Yeah. Yeah, this is all this is almost like uh the reality TV show, but like with children killing each other on live TV. Yeah. The, I think that there's a lot of um reality TV references, very very overt references in the book, which is interesting. Yeah, I thought I thought it was kind of, that that part is actually very modern in a kind of like grotesque and violent kind of edge to it where they interview everyone beforehand and ask them about their hobbies and so that they can watch them fight to the death later on. And every time when someone dies, right, they have a cannon go off and then they show their like profile photo like for, you know, on on like a big screen to to say like oh this this person is dead. It's just it's very surreal. In the sense that these people are actually no, these are human lives. Yeah, I found that kind of fascinating. I don't, I don't think we will see something similar with like earlier novels. You're like this is like more of a modern, modern thing. I was also thinking about how my favorite part of this book was the actual Hunger Games, and and just the visceral way that it it's, plays out. It's so captivating. I couldn't put it down. I was, <laughs> I, I was really into it and. That's the thing. We're we're the spectators of the Hunger Games, just like the people in the Capitol and the people in the book, which is interesting because it's kind of meta. Yes, it's it's almost like the fourth wall where we are also the spectators of the Hunger Games. Yeah, yes. that, that 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 is true. And we're enjoying the violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Certainly. <laughs> Next up is Mockingjay, our discussion of symbolism in the Hunger Games. So there are a bunch of symbolisms in in the book. Like uh, I think first of all is uh, I'm gonna talk about the Mockingjay, which I found very interesting. So the Mockingjay is actually a, a mutated animal that the capital release into the wild during the war to copy words from cop- copy uh, eavesdrop on on the on the rebels. However, these birds then mated with normal birds. And now they're they are just everywhere. It's a symbolism that, given whatever the capital was able to throw at the districts, the animal was able to survive in the wild and and flourish, right? I I, I thought that was it. and this is the symbol for Candice Everdeen, the Mockingjay. We wanted to talk about some of the names in this book. They're kind of weird. We'll talk about them. The first one we want to talk about is Katniss. So Katniss is a uh, Cannabis is a kind of a weed, like a dandelion that grows in the riverbeds. They're like turnips, so they have uh, they have those cores that you, where you can eat them and cook them like potatoes. They are a dime a dozen. They grow naturally in the wild. You don't have to tend to them. I feel like this this draws a very uh, strong parallel with Cannabis as a person. Yeah, well, she is the provider of her family. Um, she provides all the food through hunting and also through bartering at the the hob, the flea marketplace. So. I think that the fact that Katniss plans provide food is a is a pretty strong symbol. Also, I think she found them when she was starving. There was a time where her dad died and they were very they were starving for a few months and I think she found some Katniss and it and started eating them and and that kind of like once that happened she was able to to make some progress on like making her family a little bit uh, more secure. Like, yeah, I remember, and and her fa- and she remember her father's words, which is, "When you have Katniss, you cannot starve." <laughs> Sorry. As long as you have enough Katniss. 
Yeah, it's very <laughs> metaphorical. And and her sister Prim, right? So they're both named. The sisters are both named after plants. However, unlike Katniss, her sister's name is named after the primrose, which is a precious flower, right? So, so this I feel like this also symbolizes the role that they play in the family. Yeah, I, she often talks about her sister as like the most precious person in her life, extremely feminine, kind of useless. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> she she's like, oh, Prim, Prim can't do anything. She can't survive on her own. I have to take care of her. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that that also draws a parallel where like it's, it's be- obviously all of us love our family members, but like to be able to make that kind of sacrifice to sacrifice your life, it's also kind. I feel like Candace also feels that she is worth less than her sister. Kind of like how you know, nor- conventionally, the Primrose will be worth more than Katniss. Um, so there was like this, I feel like there was also this kind of element there where she, where she feels she's unworthy, right, of affection and, and of, you know, being cared for. Yeah, definitely. Right. And uh, what about Pita? What do you think? So Pita is spelled P-E-E-T-A. It's not spelled P-I-T-A, but we basically think that he, he's named Pita because of Pita Bread and his family bakes. They're, they're bakers. <laughs> he's just like a dough boy you know he's a doughy boy yeah and and then gail canis's initial love interest is um named after the wind because yeah. they always hunt in the nature together i don't even know if you can consider him a love interest because she spends the entire book saying that she's not interested in him but um, <laughs> who knows but i feel maybe, like if yeah. she were to feel that she was worthy of love they would he would be a love interest Okay, uh, fair enough. That's yeah. that's a valid point. He Gail is basically her hunting partner. They are in the woods together a lot and he I think he symbolizes like nature and the forest and so Gail is a really apt name for him. Also, I just thought of this, but what do you think if Candace is the girl on fire and the Gale, then Gail would be the wind that, you know, makes the fire grow bigger. It also symbolizes that later on, spoiler alert, where they become allies in the revolution. Yeah, and then the bread gets burned. The pita bread gets burned by the fire. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> There we go. Some, some great scholarly analysis this, right this there. Kind of, this kind of spells <laughs> out their relationship perfectly, I feel. You might <laughs> How about President Snow? That's the president of Panem. I don't know why they call him a president. He's like a dictator. I don't know his first name. Maybe we learn it later. But oh, I Snow... think his first name is like Cornelius or something. Cornelius, like it's Cornelius like a really punch. old and ancient name. <laughs> Damn, not a Harry Potter podcast, unfortunately. But um... <laughs> Snow represents purity, and Snow is lovely. So uh, it's kind of ironic. The... Snow is the opposite of fire. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Snow it is. Snow puts out fire. I'm not sure what to think of it. Yeah, I, I didn't. I also thought that it was it was antithematical that Plus in the Snow is so deadly when his name sounds so serene. I think it's intentional. I think it's a pretty cool name choice. I mean, the the dictatorship presents itself as like a totally logical, great dictatorship. So I'm not, you know, having the the name of the president be like so calm and peaceful kind of kind of makes sense to me, you know? Mm. Yeah. I, I felt it was very well put. And also, 
there are、uh, some Latin roots in there.、Uh, for example, Panam, the the nation's name, it's Latin for all. What do you think、yes. about that? It's P A N E M. So Pan means all, everything, and in, in Latin, and we know Panam. Is is basically takes place in U- the United States. There, it's the post climate change America a couple hundred years from now. So the the coastal areas are flooded. So the United States is a little smaller, but it's basically the United States. Maybe some of Canada or Mexico. I'm not sure, but it basically is like from coast to coast. And、um, I think saying that like it,、uh, Panem like rules over everything is makes a lot of sense. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. And I think that the last one that I thought was kind of interesting was in the middle of the arena. They there's like the the place where all the weapons and food are kept is called the cornucopia, which has these Greek roots. And also, cornucopia would be the opposite of hunger, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a great name. The cornucopia is where they start the Hunger Games. They like put all of the tributes into little elevators. And then the elevators go up into the arena, and they end up in the cornucopia, which is this place with all of the supplies that can help you out in the Hunger Games. There are like bows and arrows, food, different different things, and that's where like a lot of the violence happens. I think like thirteen people died in the first day in the cornucopia, and so I think it's a really good name for the place where there's such an abundance of supplies.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great name. I'm into it. Next up is the girl on fire, a discussion of the main protagonist and her narration. So I wanted to discuss a little bit. Like I think what struck me was how the book was written. It's in the first person narrative from Katniss's perspective, and the fact that she just has like this really reactionary and and very、uh, kind of competitive kind of thoughts. Like we see it pop up all the time throughout the book. And I want to discuss a little bit about like it. It, it kind of seems like her mother, when her father passed away, just kind of withdrew herself. So she basically became the caretaker of the family. She kind of assumed the parents' role when she was still a kid, and she had to take care of a sister as a mother, right? I I, I think all of this like in a form of like a child neglect, and and having to grow up so quickly, kind of impressed on her. To become this super self-sufficient kind of damaged person who doesn't feel that she's like worthy of love, and like and and therefore I feel like everything she says is just kind of a reaction to to the outside world that's like around her, and everything is purely she does is purely for the goal of survival. It's it's almost sad and like just scary to to think about that someone like a, a child could grow up like this, right? Yeah, the book is written in the present tense, like very strange for a novel. I've really rarely seen that when reading, and I think that's a testament to how、um, in the moment she is and like just reacting to all of her everything in her environment. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, like she doesn't have time to think about the past or the future. She only has time to think about the now. Hence, the present tense always.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't, There, I didn't think about that. There's a part of the book where she and Gail are in the woods, and he says, "Why don't we just escape our homes and run away and have a family together?" And she's like, "That no, 
<laughs> she's, she's like, she like yeah. She's like, what about what about our kids? Meaning their siblings, which who they all have to take care of. But I, yeah, and and then there were other circum- places as well where like she just cannot spare herself to to think for herself. And I thought it was also very interesting. Where spoiler alert again, in the second book, when when she and Pita have gotten together because of the Hunger Games, not because of love. Um, she actually met up with Gail again, and and I think at that time she told him like she's like I wish when back when you asked me we had run away together, and I feel like that was growth for Katniss because then she actually was able to hope and wish for things that came from herself. It was just all very very sad. Like they they didn't have a freedom. She never had freedom to love anyone. Everything that she was supposed to have, all the privileges. You know, all the childhood she had, she was supposed to grow up with. Everything's taken away from her. Yeah. So she she has basically no goals besides survival in the books, which is interesting because, for example, with the uh, thing I mentioned with Gail, he actually has a, a way of thinking about the future where he's like, oh, I wish that this were the case, or maybe we should do this. And she's so she has such a different mindset that it's it's very interesting. What did you think about her relationship with Peta, Selena? I actually thought that Peta is uh, being a baker's son who's never who had a normal childhood and who's never had to worry about food or money is the opposite of Katniss. And I feel like every time when she talks to him, she'll be like, "He he's he must like she must have looked so like full of suspicion and enmity." And she's like, he must be trying to get an upper edge on me because we're all going to fight together. And then, but you can see throughout, like a little bit of humanity somehow bleeds through to Katniss. I think there was one case where she's like, yeah, but maybe uh, like later on that night, a, co- a thought came to me. Like maybe he's just a kind man. That's why he did it. Right. I, I thought it was very sweet. <laughs> really? Uh, I thought that maybe her hostility toward Peta was that like weird thing that people do in in books for and movies for teenagers where the love interests like hate each other and are really mean to each other, but they actually like each other. And so she was so hostile toward him because she liked him, but I don't really get it. (laughs) I feel like he represents like the, the soft part of human, like even like throughout he's like, I just want to remain as myself. I don't want the game to turn me into a killer. And and I think Candace is like guarding him with like a 10-yard stick. And it's like, I cannot, I cannot afford that. I cannot afford to think like that. Uh, she just has like too much else other stuff to worry about. I agree. Watch out for gender reveal or discussion on gender norms. The way that this book approaches gender is pretty interesting. It's very binary in their world building. There is a girl and a boy chosen from each district. And it's not like two girls sometimes or two boys sometimes. It's always like a girl and a boy, which is weird, weird. It's weird. And what do you think of that, Selena? I thought, on the other hand, though, I thought there was an equalizing component to this. So the women would be required to fight with the men. So they, like, there's, there's no gender privilege or anything. I thought that that was a that was a good part of the book. What do you think? I I found it interesting that there wasn't any gender-based violence during the actual Hunger Games. They're kids. They're 
Uh, some of them are some of them are like 17 or 18 like they're they're the way that gender is approached in the actual hunger games during the arena is not there isn't a clear distinction between how the women act and how the men act i mean some of the tributes are like katniss will say like oh there's this like super sexy tribute from district one and that's like her strategy to be sexy or whatever Yes, now that you mention it, I thought it was interesting how clean the depictions of, of the gender dynamics in the books. They just try to kill each other. That is interesting, considering there's so much gruesome violence, but no, like... Yeah, I'm pretty violence. sure in the 75 years of The Hunger Games, there must be at least some kids that are just deviants. There's one There's one guy that they mention who was kind of... They mention him as like kind of like a sociopath, where he started eating his victims during The Hunger Games. Uh-huh. That's the only mention of someone who acted in a in like a morally transgressive way. Yeah, even then, right? It's just violent. Yeah, it's scary, but it's violent, but it's not like actual human scary, right? I yeah. find cannibalism kind of scary. I think this is a win for the Hunger Games. I agree. Yeah, another interesting part of gender was Katniss's gender presentation. I wouldn't say that she dresses masculinely but basically every personality trait and activity that she engages in especially in the beginning part of the book is stereotypically masculine she hunts for food with bows and arrows she is basically a father figure in her family her father dies before the book takes place and she is the provider she well she looks at the women in her family as people to be to take care of she kind of sets herself up as other to them, yeah. which I found very interesting. I wonder if that's also why she's just always unavailable, you know, to, to love, like regards to Gail and, and Pita. Like, I feel like maybe she just never sees herself in the romantic sphere because she has to assume the role of father in her family. So it's hard for her to, to now sl- become the romantic role when, with Pita and Gail. I think that she doesn't give herself a lot of space to think about different relationships. I also noticed in the books that she looks up basically only to men. There aren't any female role models in the books for her. She despises her mother. Her mother is useless and depressed and 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 she's like, why are you depressed, mom? Now I have to take care of the rest of the family. And by the way, her mom is only like depressed after her father dies. Her mom is like taking care of an apothecary now, but she's like so resentful, which is fine. Um, her sister is useless uh, and very feminine. I, I mean, I'm saying this like I don't as kind of an exaggeration of how what her perspective, what I thought her perspective was in the books. Not that I think her sister is actually useless. Basically, she very much looks up to Peta in the book, even before they start interacting for real, because he threw bread at her when she was starving. So she kind of saved her life. She remembers. Yeah, yeah, he saved her life and he very much looks forward to um she looks forward to Gail as well, who is kind of a mentor, slash maybe love interest, slash best friend, who teaches her to hunt better. And uh yeah, so there's this real dichotomy, like she is like a cis woman, but very stereotypically masculine, and she has different opinions about men versus women in her life. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I also wanted to discuss Katniss's 
feminine presentation during the Hunger Games because she goes from someone who is not looked at at all uh, and is not under an eye to somebody who has to do interviews and is constantly under a camera. And she is basically coached to be a silly, giggly girl who is in love with PETA, which I found really gross. (laughs) It has to be presented in a way that the people of the Capitol can relate to. And they just, yeah, women assuming the role of men are just not that attractive and wouldn't sell. Like, I understand that. Do you feel that you have to act that way in society to, to be liked? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that that's that's an interesting point. But then again, right? I feel like every there there's a backstory um, that like the like from the advertisement perspective for every tribute, right? So they always try to drum up something like, "Oh, this person is interesting or attractive in this way versus that way," right? And then that, I guess that, that was just the story that they wanted Candace to have. Obviously, in reality, everyone is just a scared child who has been sent to death. But I guess that won't make interesting entertainment. Yeah, they chose this like heteronormative love story for everyone to latch on to. Star-crossed lovers of this yeah. world. Yeah, exactly. So, so overall, what did you think about the book? I really enjoyed it. I thought that the Hunger Games part of the book was by far the strongest part. It was really captivating the way that violence is portrayed and survival is really compelling. And I liked that the main character was basically trained from birth to be successful in the Hunger Games even though she was an underdog, I found that was really interesting. Some of the world building is a little bit hard for me to digest, but overall, I really enjoyed it. How about you, Selena? Yeah, I, I I was the same. I basically read the book in a single read, like across five hours. It was just, I couldn't put it down. It was very captivating. However, though, there there were plot holes where I was just, you know, skipping because it's a young adult novel and I wasn't supposed to think too much about it. Like the, the part where they have all these crazy technology to to like be able to be like god and then you know cause fires in the arena that part is just it's it's hard not to think about it and that's why i'm saying like this is probably not sci-fi because like i'm just like scientifically that is almost impossible to do Ugh. right you just cannot make matter out of nothing it's like there are little parts where it bothers me and i try not to think about it but i love the plot yeah i, I love like what the book represents and all the undertones it makes me think Mm -hmm. very enjoyable thank you for joining us in our discussion of the hunger games if you want to reach out to us email us at podmultiverse at gmail.com that's p-o-d-m-u-l-t-i-v-e-r-s-e at gmail.com next episode we'll be discussing the first hunger games movie until next time bye bye (laughs) 